everyone. Good morning. Uh, I'm just laughing because we were here um, trying to center me with the camera so that you could see me. And Dina's countdown was like one, two, three, two, one. So <laughs> um, glad he can count, though. <laughs> Um, good morning, everyone. I hope that you're having a good morning so far. I hope that you have enjoyed this week. Uh, we are on the final countdown until we can have church together. Um, I'm sitting down today resting my uh, pregnant body <laughs> as I bring the word this morning and hopefully won't be out of breath um, in speaking to you today. But um, we have been going through this season of Lent and going through this series called Lent, A Season of Reflection. And whether you've been able to do the challenges every week, I mean, we've had, we started fasting food and then we went into fasting social media. This past week, we challenged you and ourselves to fast sleep. So we were supposed to wake up a little bit earlier or stay up a little bit later so that we could spend that um, intentional time with Jesus. And then this week, this coming week, the last week, uh, we are going to fast Netflix shows and uh, movies and basically watching um, entertainment. Um, but whether you've been able to follow these challenges or not, uh, it has been, I hope that it's been a season where you've been reflecting on Easter or you've been reflecting on the cross. And each Sunday we've had messages kind of leading up to, to this this moment of Jesus's death and resurrection. And I hope that this year it'll mean that much more to you as you have had time to, to reflect before the Easter season. Um, but last week we heard from Leanne and she spoke about Ash Wednesday. And uh, she talked about kind of some uncomfortable topics. It's not every day that someone comes to you and says, your days are numbered. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like to talk about death, right? We don't like to talk about how this life is temporary. And this might sound a little morbid, but I've been thinking a lot recently of how fragile life is and how tomorrow is not certain. And um, maybe I've been watching too many medical shows, but <laughs> even just the other day, I started crying out of the blue just thinking, what would life be like for Reuben and Jade if something were to happen to me? And I come up with all of these scenarios in my mind. And I can't even bring them up to Reuben. It's like a no-go zone. I cannot talk about anything negative happening in that way because Reuben just doesn't want to hear it. It'll ruin his mood. It'll ruin his day. He just tells me to be quiet. Stop talking about that because <laughs> we don't like to talk about it. And, um, and maybe these scenarios that I, I come up with are not exactly helpful uh, but understanding the reality of how temporary and how fragile this life is, it helps us live our lives differently. And I think that's what Leanne was getting to is if we understand how fragile today is, maybe it'll transform the way that we live today. Maybe it'll transform the way that we, we encounter challenges and problems and, and the, the eagerness and the urgency that we live our lives with. If we will just have in mind how temporary it is. To give you an example, um, it was around this time last year, JD hadn't turned one yet, and uh, this whole changing um, hour 
thing is, I, I used to think, oh, it's okay, we just change hour, that's fine. An hour later, an hour earlier, you lose a, an hour of sleep or you gain an hour of sleep until I had kids and then I realized we should do a parent petition for this to be over <laughs> because they are in a perfect sleeping routine. And for those of you who don't know what a sleep regression is, um, it's basically when your child is sleeping perfectly through the night, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, and then from one moment to the next, with no, uh, no warning, no heads up, all of a sudden, they're waking up one, two, three, four times in the night for no apparent reason. And so that's what happened around this time last year. JD started waking up all the time, and I got to be honest with you, I started to get a little frustrated. <laughs> I started to get tired. I started to, to just think, how can I fix this? Why is this happening? Why is she waking up so many times? Um, until one day, I was going to bed, and I was just scrolling through my social media, and I read a post from a mother who had just lost her child. And it was a post expressing her grief of how much she missed her baby daughter. And it just hit me in that moment that waking up one, two, three, four times a night to take care of my perfectly healthy child was not a burden, it was a privilege. And it completely changed my perspective in that time. It completely changed the way I encountered that, that season that JD was going through. And I think that, that sometimes we need to have this wake-up call. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Our thinking, our mindset needs to be shaken up because it's easy for us to be disconnected. It's easy, it's easy for us to take life for granted. It's easy for us to take the cross for granted and to get carried away by our day-to-day -day activities and our busyness. It's easy to get carried away by the culture and the values and the belief systems of society that our actions naturally begin to reflect the world rather than to reflect Jesus Christ. And so our mindset has to be challenged every now and again. Actually, I would argue it has to be challenged daily. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the, or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I think that Easter is a powerful wake-up call. Easter is an opportunity to stop and to examine ourselves to think about the way that we've been living, the way that we've been making our choices and our decisions, the way that we've been loving God and the way that we've been loving others. Why? Because Easter reminds us of who Jesus really is. And in light of his death and his resurrection, we gain a whole new perspective, a whole new understanding of what our own lives are really meant to be like. It's a time to stop from this rat race, this, this busy lifestyle that we all have. It's a time to just stop, examine our hearts, and see how we've been living this life and what it's actually meant to be like. In 2 Corinthians, we read Paul writing to the church, and he challenges them. He says this to them. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, notice that Paul isn't speaking to, to unbelievers in this verse. He, he's writing a letter to the church, and, and he's writing a letter to, to people that are supposedly Christians. What this tells me is that there's two types of churchgoers. There's the fan of Jesus, and then there's the follower 
of Jesus. And coming up to Easter, it, it's easier for us to focus on the fans, right? I mean, after all, we, we live in a Catholic country where people will most likely only ever go to church or only be willing to talk about Jesus on two occasions in the whole year, and that's Christmas and Easter. And so as pastors and as church leaders, we're tempted to think of the best and most entertaining ways of presenting the gospel that clearly conveys all of the benefits, all of the good parts about being a Christian. And I see so many churches where it's almost like they turn the gospel into a product that's meant to be sold. You know those commercials where they're trying to sell like some dietary drug or some medication where you'll hear this nice smooth voice telling you all the good things about this medical whatever you're supposed to buy. And then right towards the end of the commercial or the advert you'll hear on the radio or on TV, it's like their voice is tripled in speed and in 20 seconds they just cram all of the, all of the information regarding the risks and the side effects and all the other potential health costs this might cost you. And it's like we do that with the gospel, especially at Easter. And it goes something like this. I had Ruben's help to do this, but this is a bit what we do with the gospel. Just let's watch this. to Jesus and he will save you. Not only will you get a free ticket to heaven, but in this life he will meet all of your needs and make your wildest dreams come true. Please be aware he does require a repentant and completely surrendered heart. As a result of loving Jesus, the world will most likely hate you, which will cause you to have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and choose to follow Christ. Above all else, no matter the cost or sacrifice. You may have to give up certain dreams and go through all kinds of trials, which is, of course, very worth it, because it's not about you. Rather, it is all about God, always was and always will be. Have a blessed Sunday, and see you next week. It, it goes a little bit like that, right? I mean, this is an exaggeration, but, but this is so often how we present Jesus Christ. This is so often how we present the good news of the gospel. We sugarcoat the gospel. We shape Jesus to look like and sound like exactly what people expect to hear, what people want him to be like. And so our churches, they fill up with fans. Dictionary defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. We're all enthusiastic admirers of something or someone. Um, last week we were sitting around the table and um, we were talking about books and movies and, and who we what we like and what we're fans of. And um, I was very shocked to learn that my friend Jamil... <laughs> Someone I love and respect, the godmother of my child, is an enthusiastic admirer of the Twilight series. I mean, <laughs> vampires and werewolves, as I never got it, I'll never get it. Some of you might be enthusiastic admirers of the Twilight series as well. I'm not going to judge you too terribly. Um, but Jamil, she's proudly a fan. She's read the book, she's watched the movies despite the absolute terrible acting involved. And so we can relate whether it's to Jamil or, or to others. There were also others present there who were fans of Twilight, but I won't mention them by name. Um, I don't want you to change your opinion of them. <laughs> but we can, uh, we can relate to being fans, right? We're all fans, we're all enthusiastic admirers of something. And so fans of Jesus, they want to be around Jesus. They sing the worship songs and they'll, they'll memorize the lyrics. 
They can quote Bible verses and they have Christian friends. They write Christian on their Facebook profiles under the religion question. Oh, they love Jesus. But here's the problem. Jesus is not looking for fans. And it's not that being a fan is a bad thing. It's just that for Jesus, it's not enough. Jesus is looking for followers. See, today is what we call Palm Sunday, leading up to Easter. This is a special day in the Christian calendar because it refers to the day that, that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem a week before he's crucified. And uh, we read that on that day as Jesus entered the city, the city was filled with crowds shouting the name of Jesus. It was like being at a stadium. I'm sure every one of us has been at a stadium, whether we're at a concert or, wait or, or cheering on a sports team. And, and you know that feeling where, where you're just surrounded by thousands of people all shouting and cheering for the same name. And it was like this. Jerusalem was filled with people shouting the name of Jesus as he came in. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 8 through 11. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They would, they would cut palm branches signifying and symbolizing peace. And, and they spread them on the road ahead of Jesus. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We read this and, and we see nothing wrong, right? Jesus had thousands of fans. What an incredible moment for many people. This would be the culmination of a career. And yet the Bible says in the book of Luke, just a few verses later after Jesus comes in, it says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. See, Jesus knows our hearts. He can see right through us. And he knew that despite all the shouting and the cheering and all the apparent admiration, those were the very same people that less than a week later would be shouting, crucify him. Those were the people that would desert him in his suffering and reject his deity because they were merely fans, not followers. So what's the difference? And today, this message is very inspired by a book called Not a Fan by the author Kyle Eidelman, and I recommend you to read this book. But how do you know if you are a fan or a follower? And today, we're going to have a bit of a DTR moment. And for those of you who don't know what that is, neither did I until this week. But I learned that DTR stands for Define the Relationship. It's that moment when you've been dating someone and having a good time and then you get to that point where you need to have the talk. You need to establish it and define what is this exactly? What are we doing here? What, what's the future of this relationship? And um, I remember that Ruben and I had been dating for literally a month, maybe not even. 
It was about September time, and we were hanging out at the beach when all of a sudden, out of the blue, Reuben brings up this idea of getting married. Now, not just in the distant future sometime, but this is September. We've been dating for less than a month, and he brings the idea of getting married the following summer. I mean, he was ready to define the relationship. Not even a month into this, he was ready to commit to us forever. And so today, I want to challenge us to just have a DTR moment with Jesus. What does Jesus really mean to you? Who is Jesus in your life? What is this relationship you have with him? What is your level of commitment to Jesus? And here's the thing about fans of Jesus. Most of them think that they're followers. If you would have asked anyone in that crowd on Palm Sunday, shouting the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, they would have told you that they are followers of Christ. They would have used a few very subjective measurements that, that we still use today. Comparison, for example. We look at other people and, uh, and their life choices and we conclude, well, of course, I'm a follower of Jesus. I mean, look at them and look at me. It's like me telling Reuben how amazingly blessed he is to have a wife like me by pointing to the imperfections of other wives. By saying, Reuben, you should be so lucky to have me as your wife. You should feel so grateful to have me as your wife because look at these other women and look how they treat their husbands and look how they don't help around the house and look how they don't even have a job and look at what terrible and stressed out mothers they are. You should be so grateful to have me as your wife. And, and we do that with God. God, well, of course I am a follower. Of course, uh, uh, my life is yours. I mean, have you looked at these other people? Have you looked at this other guy who, who keeps cheating on his wife? Have you looked at this other person who doesn't even come to church? Have you looked at this other, other friend of mine who keeps struggling with this addiction? Of course, God, I'm a follower. And so we compare ourselves to other people. The thing about that, it's almost like when other people, especially people in church, when they fail, when they mess up and they fall into sin, it almost makes us feel relieved. It almost makes us feel glad because if we judge our Christianity based on a standard of comparison, then when other people mess up, that standard just got that much lower. And we compare ourselves. Of course, I'm not just a fan. I'm a follower. Have you looked at them and have you looked at me? Or we use a religious ruler. We add up all of our good deeds to defend that surely we are followers of Christ. I'm a good person. I go to church as much as possible, as much as I can. I read the Bible like three times a week. I love Jesus. Would a fan do all the things that I do? Would a fan make all the choices that I've made? See, one day Jesus has a DTR moment with a young man who used all these kinds of measurements. And he genuinely thought that he was more than a fan. He was a follower. And he goes up to Jesus enthusiastically and asks, what else do I have to do to earn eternal life? And Jesus replies, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. He says, I've done all of this. 
Looking at him, Jesus showed, him, showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. See, Jesus saw right through him. He saw his heart and realized it wasn't completely surrendered. He was enthusiastic about Jesus. He maybe even loved Jesus. Surely he admired Jesus, but he wasn't committed. There was still a part of his life that he was holding back from Jesus. And so Jesus lovingly touches this exact area. And he says, surrender your life completely, even your finances. Even that part that you haven't even realized you're still holding back from me. Surrender all of your life and then follow me. And that's where this man draws the line. And the Bible says that he walks off disappointed. See, that's the difference between a fan and a follower. A fan is enthusiastic and close enough to get the benefits, but not too close to require sacrifice. A follower, on the other hand, is completely surrendered, completely committed, no matter the cost, no matter the call to obedience. You see, unlike modern evangelism and the example that I showed earlier in that video, Jesus never sugarcoated the gospel. In fact, every time that Jesus had an opportunity to speak to the crowds and every time Jesus had this one-on-one -on -one moment with a person, with a fan, he was explicit in defining the relationship from the beginning. He was clear in saying what he expected from the relationship. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, he says it straight up to all who are fans of Jesus today, I want you to hear this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is looking for hearts that are completely surrendered to him. Jesus is not looking for churchgoers. Jesus is not just looking for people who are enthusiastic admirers. He is looking for people who don't just believe him, but truly seek to know him. People who love him with all of their heart, all of their soul, and all of their mind. And as a result, they surrender their lives completely. Even when it costs us our comfort, our status, our riches, our popularity, and most of all, even when it costs us our personal own will. Even as I speak right now, some of you might be discarding this message, thinking, I know I'm a follower, this message is not for me, can you just get done with it so we can get to the worship and, and kind of finish, wrap up this service. I want to take us to a passage this morning that should grip our attention and really cause us to follow Paul's advice to examine ourselves and see whether we are in the faith. Whether you think you are a fan or a follower this morning, let's read this passage this morning. Jesus is speaking and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles. Lord, didn't I go to church every Sunday? Lord, didn't I go to the right Bible studies? Lord, did I, didn't I use the right language? I didn't even cuss. Lord, didn't I save myself from marriage? Lord, didn't I do all the right things? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, some people are merely fans and they don't even realize it. They're caught up in religion when Jesus is actually looking for relationship. They're caught up in tradition and rituals and deeds and, and being, making sure that they are a good person. Taking all the right steps when actually Jesus is focused on your heart. The source of your choices and your decisions and your attitudes. Jesus doesn't just want the good Christian that other people can see around you. Jesus wants every part of you, even the areas of your life that no one else can see, that no one else even knows about. Is your heart completely surrendered to Jesus Christ this morning? See, if we go back to Matthew chapter 21, it says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And while this was a true statement, Jesus was so much more than a prophet. Jesus is the son of God. But that's what fans do. We think we know the people that we admire. And in our defense, the people we admire often put a lot of work into shaping public perception of who they are. But we, we follow artists and celebrities on TV. We, we follow them on social media. We watch their work. We think we know who they are, but really we can see so little. And often we can see only what we want to see. And so these people, they say Jesus is a prophet when really he is so much more. And, and the Bible says that a couple verses later, Jesus weeps because they just didn't get it. Today, are you a fan of a made-up version of Jesus, a limited version of Jesus, a, a version that you have created to meet your preferences? Or are you a follower that seeks to know Jesus for who he truly is? Are you a fan of Jesus ready to benefit from all his goodness as long as it suits you? Or are you a follower ready to give up everything to love and obey his call? Are you a fan or are you a follower? And I want to finish this morning by going to the book of Acts in the Bible. We find it in the New Testament. And it's one of the most beautiful books in the Bible because it speaks of men and women who were followers of Jesus. Men and women who gave up everything and who followed Jesus with all of their hearts. By this point, Jesus, by this point that we read the book of Acts, Jesus had already come to earth. He had died and he'd resurrected. And the disciples had finally understood the beauty and the power of God's love. They had finally understood the significance of the cross. 
They had understood the unconditional love of Jesus, his mercy, and his incredible grace for us. They were so passionate about Jesus. These men and these women, they couldn't stop talking about him. They just wanted to tell everyone how good God is, that he would send his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And so they go everywhere and they tell everyone about Jesus. They wanted everyone to know that, and and I heard this this morning, and I thought it was so powerful, that the cross is not meant to crucify us. The cross is meant to liberate us. It's meant to bring us freedom. And so these disciples, they're telling everybody. The only problem was that the Jewish priests and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders at the time, they didn't want anybody to speak about Jesus. And so they prohibited these disciples to talk about the gospel. And and they imprisoned them. And we don't have time to read the whole scripture today, but I'm just going to give you a quick recap. The the Jewish high priest, they imprisoned a few of the disciples because they'd been talking about Jesus. And while they're in jail, through a divine miracle, God opens the door of the jail and they're free to walk out. And instead of going home where they can finally be comfortable and just be quiet and have some rest, the Bible says that these disciples go right back to the public. They go right back to the temple courts and start preaching all over again of how good God is and what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 5. It says, when the Jewish leaders found them, they were furious And wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So basically, these guys are furious. These guys are angry. They want to kill these disciples and just shut them up. And then this other guy, Gamaliel, he stands up and this is what he says. He tries to convince them. Listen, there's no need. There's no point in killing these guys. Just imprison them because look at this. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared. Some guy appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. And it all came to nothing. And then this other guy, Judas the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered and it also came to nothing. He's saying, listen, we've seen this before. Other people have also come up and rallied others and rallied fans and and come up to to revolt against the the leadership, uh, the Jewish leadership and the Roman leadership. And, And when we kill them, it all came to nothing. This just goes away. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. The Bible says that his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And listen to this in verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. These apostles, they were fully committed. They had had a DTR moment with Jesus. They had defined the relationship and they were no longer fans just in it for the good times. They were followers and they were going to talk about the love of Jesus no matter what happened, no matter what people did to them. It says that after they were put in jail, after they had been flogged, whipped, hurt, mistreated, persecuted, the Bible says that they rejoiced. How can you leave just being whipped, just being hurt and mistreated in that way, rejoicing. Only someone who is a true follower. Only someone who has really understood what it's like to share in the suffering of Christ. They understood that their lives were just temporary. That this life on earth is not it. That there is so much more that Christ has paid the price for our salvation and that Every heart needs to hear about it. And what Gamaliel said was right. Remember, he told the high priest, he said, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you an admirer of Jesus, a nice prophet that lived 2,000 years ago and said some nice things and he's a nice kind of figure to, to look up to? Or are you a follower of Christ, the Son of God? Have you fully understood the power and the significance of his death and resurrection and what that means in your life? What kind of life are you living? Maybe it's time for you to define your relationship. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't just put it off. Don't just say, yeah, I'll have that, that hard conversation with God later. I want to encourage you, do that today. Even as we spend some time worshiping, and I'm going to call the worship band to come up. Even as you hear the music, and as you're in your home, in the comfort of, of being alone, nobody else is watching you. Will you take that moment? To define the relationship. Even all of us who are here in this room, whether you're on sound, on multimedia, whether we're on the band, let's take time to define our relationship with Jesus. Who is he in our lives? What's our level of commitment? What difference does Jesus make in our choices, in our attitudes? in the way that we love others, in the way that we make our decisions. Here are some good news. When we choose to follow Jesus, whether we are in good times or difficult times, the Bible says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Like the apostles, let's rejoice as we follow this incredible God. He is a good God. And yes, all of his goodness is so real. And yes, we can benefit from his love and his mercy and his grace and his faithfulness. As his children, he is a God who wants to pour blessings on us. But the Bible says that when, when we follow Jesus, 
The world will hate us because it hated Jesus first, and so we're bound to encounter some trials. Are you a follower even then? And I want to encourage you that whatever call to obedience that God is bringing you to, if God is for you, who can be against you? Let's live lives rejoicing, being followers who are filled with joy and with this peace no matter what's going on. Are you a fan or a follower this morning? Let's define the relationship.